we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. A moment so I can get a little bit situated. Um, just, just to go ahead and um, appease your curiosity. You're wondering why I'm sitting on a stool, and you may be wondering why I'm lipping around a little bit. Um, I, I turned 44 in a little over a week, and this is uh, my knee has let me know that I'm about to turn 44 uh, in a little over a week. And I can't do things the same way that I used to do them as easily. Um, and so I, I have a, a meniscus and MCL issue with my knee. And so I'm just hopping around. We'll be limping around for a while until I can kind of get back to normal. So that's why I'm sitting with you guys rather than standing with you guys today. But it is really good to be one another. It is good to worship together. It is good to sing songs of praise together God's call for us to gather is huge. It's significant. It's no small thing. Um, uh, we were meant to rub shoulders with one another. Uh, uh, we were meant to speak into each other's lives. We were meant to worship together on our own, yes, but together. And that's by design so that on this side of Jesus, we might grow up in him. Uh, with one another, and we need one another. So it's so good to be together. Uh, my name's Danny. I'm one of the associate pastors here uh, at First Baptist, and I have the privilege of preaching in this place and encouraging you uh, almost every week. And uh, man, it's a delight to do so. If you're new with us today, thank you so much for joining us for worship and, and trusting us with this hour. We hope that you have felt very welcomed in this place, um, and I hope that I'm like the, the, the fifth, sixth, seventh person that has said, we're glad you're here. We'd love to know that you're here, and you can let us know by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. That's the simplest way to do that. You can do that right now, in fact, but it's a delight that you're worshiping with us today. Um, we have started a brand new series in the book of Judges. And this is our second week. Last week we were in Judges chapter 1, and this week we are in portions of Judges chapter 2 and 3. And if you are new with us today, um, as a church family, we are not only in this series on Sunday mornings uh, during worship, but also in Bible study you're in the same text. And we also encourage you to read this text uh, in your own personal time with the Lord in his word. Uh, and so we are kind of bound together in what we call reverse. We're literally on the same page together. Um, and let me encourage you, whether you're new or not, to, to stay with us uh, as we trek through the book of Judges. So with that in mind, let's stand together. And we're going to read Judges uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Uh, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and Asherah poles. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to the king Kushan, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that, of Aranaharim. And the Israelites served Kushan for eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. 
His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kanaz. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Kushan of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for 40 years. The Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. You may be seated. Goodness, I should have given you guys other texts to read this morning. Um, or maybe myself. Um, and so here we are again in Judges, and now in Judges chapter 2 and portions of Judges chapter 3. Where did we leave off last week? Um, last week in Judges chapter 1, we kind of set uh, the foundation for where the people of Israel, these 12 different tribes, will be going, really the path they are setting for themselves over the cycle, this season, these generations and the book of Judges. And what we learned from last week is that they failed to obey God's command. God had brought them to the promised land. Remember, Moses had led them out of slavery in Egypt into the desert, and because of their disobedience and unfaithfulness to the Lord, they were in the desert for 40 years under the leadership of Moses. And then upon Moses' death, he died, but passed on leadership to faithful Joshua, and it would be Joshua who would lead the people of Israel, the 12 tribes, crossing the Jordan into their inheritance, this promised land. And they knew those leaders that had been along this journey with Joshua, and Joshua had reminded them of the command of God that when you receive your inheritance, you are to drive out every nation. You're not to make treaties with them, but you are to drive them out so that you can receive your inheritance and that would be your land that I've given you and not others, nations, lands. And so when they get into this land, this diverse land, and the various tribes are apportioned, various regions of this land, um, they begin con conquest of the land, but they fail to fulfill God's command into completely driving out the various other tribes or city-states that were in this promised land that they had been given. And instead, instead of obeying God, they begin to make treaties with these other peoples. And it's that disobedience that sets them on a new path. Um, in fact, just a reminder, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 12, God said, if you fail to do that, you will be trapped. If you fail to obey me, you will be trapped um, and we find the people of Israel, these 12 tribes, setting themselves up for entrapment. It's almost like they sabotage themselves. Their disobedience set them up for an ongoing pattern and cycle of rejecting God over and over again and embracing other gods. Kind of reminds me of um, in James chapter 4, verse 17. Um, the brother of Jesus says, you know the things that you put off doing, the things you know you ought to do but don't do, that's sin too. Uh, that's sin in our own life. So sometimes we can think of, of, of this Christian life as just avoiding the bad things, right? The things that we shouldn't be doing. Well, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't. so I must be, uh, you know, take becoming more righteous because I'm avoiding those things. Well, it's not just avoiding and uh, not doing things, 
But God also calls us to do things. And that's the same case uh, with the 12 tribes. They knew what God had asked them to do, but they disobeyed God, sinned against the Lord, and not doing what they clearly knew God had asked them to do. And it was setting themselves up for an ongoing pattern and cycle that we're going to see in the tribes of Israel. And so where did that path take them? Uh, where did those, uh, that initial period of disobedience, of neglecting to do what God asked them to do, where did it lead them? Um, their disobedience set them on a path of ongoing temptation and tests. And God told them from the outset. So in Judges chapter 2, verse 3, it says this. This is the angel of the Lord talking to the Israelites. So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land because they didn't trust God to do it, right? They didn't take the initiative to do that. So he says, I'm not gonna do it for you. He says, because of that, they will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. Their disobedience of failing to obey God from the very beginning and entering that land, set them into an ongoing cycle and pattern of temptation. Uh, that these, these people and groups of people that they'd made treaties with would be a thorn in their side. Constant temptation. But not only, uh, listen to chapter three, verse four. It says, these people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given them to their ancestors through Moses. And so we see that their disobedience set them up for ongoing temptation, thorns in their sides, nonstop because of their failure to obey God from the very beginning. And also an ongoing test of the Lord, new opportunities every single day as they faced the struggle of temptation. It was a new opportunity to choose God over their neighbor's God or other practice, or ideology. And so God says, listen, because of that, you, will, you have set yourself on a path of ongoing temptation and tests. Now we know that when we talk about the people of Israel, we're talking about 12 different tribes. And sometimes we think of that as they're just always together. We know that wasn't the case. Like I said last week, this was a very loose confederation. When they were given this land, they were given different portions of the line. So every tribe had a different portion of the land. And this was a very different terrain, certainly different from the desert they had just come out of, very different from Egypt that they experienced in generations of living in, G in Egypt. And not to mention, as they were entering in this land that God had given them, as we've already said, it was already inhabited by other peoples. That was their inheritance. Doesn't sound easy, does it? And it was a significant challenge. Uh, this week, um, I called uh, Paul Tucker, and we spent a lot of time on the phone talking about Judges 2 and 3. And uh, one of the questions that Paul asked and that we began discussing together is, why in the world was this such a great temptation for them? Why did they face 
that kind of temptation. I mean, uh, many of these, the older generation that we know soon would pass on and the new generation would begin to lead. But at least those that had come out of the desert with Moses and then Joshua, certainly they would have remembered their incredible wonders and provision and leadership of God through the desert. And of course, we knew they weren't perfect in the desert either. But certainly they would have remembered the commands of God and remembered the wonders of God. And so why in the world, when they entered into this land, were they encountering such incredible temptation to begin believing and adopting all these other customs and practices of worshiping the other gods? Why? Um, Well, let's figure that out together. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. Listen to these verses. This is the Lord speaking here. It says, beginning in verse 8, Therefore, be careful to obey every command I'm giving you today, so that you may have strength to go in and take over the land you're about to enter. Right? That's just right where we are. Obey me. Take over the land you're about to enter. If you obey, you will enjoy a long life in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors and to you, their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a, just a beautiful phrase. It's saying, listen, if you go in and obey me and you, you take over the land that I've given to you, and trust me, you will flourish in every way. You will flourish. Uh, the life cycle will have everything that they need, and, and your crops will grow and meet every need that you have. You will flourish as a people. Verse 10, for the land you are about to enter and take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you came. Now listen, where you planted your seed and made irrigation ditches with your foot as in a vegetable garden. Rather, the land you will soon take over is a land of hills and valleys with plenty of rain. A land that the Lord your God cares for. He watches over it through every season of the year. So, Why in the world was it such a challenge and temptation for the tribes of Israel? Because they were about to encounter or be in a land and have to do things they've never done before. Uh, They have never had to experience trusting and counting on seasonal rains to water their crops. Coming out of Egypt and in Egypt, how did they take care of their crops? They brought water to them. From the Nile River, right? They irrigated the land. They could kind of control their own destiny. And they entered into a land where God said, listen, I'm the one that bring the seasonal rains. I'm the one that will meet the needs, the needs of your crops to water your fields so that you might flourish. And you must listen and obey me and trust me. You can't do this on your own like you did in Egypt. You can't can't build ditches. You've got to wait and trust and obey me. They've never had to do that before, at least not that generation. And so they were in a place that they had never been, surrounded by new peoples and customs and cultures. And when they began to look around them at the neighboring peoples, and some of them very established, and some of them technologically advanced, they looked at these people and said, Gosh, they seem to have it together, don't they? Uh, I mean, they're taking care of their own people. Uh, what, what if we just kind of adopt their ideologies and their ways? Uh, they seem to have been able to control their own destiny. We're, we're here just waiting upon the Lord, and uh, maybe we just can't wait. Maybe we just got to do things on our own and do it the way that they're doing it. 
right? And so in an effort to control their own destinies and with the temptation of the ways and practices of all the others' peoples that they failed to drive out, they just want, they didn't want to give themselves over to chance. Let's just do everything we can to ensure that we're going to flourish in this land. I mean, their God, Baal, he's a God of fertility. Maybe that's why they're flourishing. Maybe we should take him and add him to our arsenal. Or that God, or this God. And so you found these different tribes incredibly tempted because of anxiety and fear that they wouldn't be able to muster. And they wouldn't be able to flourish in this land that God had given them. And in all appearances, it seemed that the ways and practices of these other people led them to flourish. And so they took them on. Rather than seeking and waiting and seeking help from the Lord and listening to his voice and obeying his command, they said, yeah, we'll keep him around, but we're going to add this God to, this ideology to, this practice to. It made perfect sense. I mean, that culture, the tribes in which they were surrounded by these other peoples, they were polytheistic gods, right? They worshiped a lot of different gods. I mean, it made sense. Just add another one to your set, to your portfolio. Just add another one. Just, just in case you left something out, just add another god there in order so that you can flourish or have control of your own destiny. Literally, uh, Israel was trying to harness the powers of the God out of fear and anxiety in this new land in which they are in. And if the other people can have multiple gods, well, then why can't we? That's the way they're doing it. That's the way we ought to do it. Extraordinary temptation. It's an extraordinary temptation to control their own destiny, their own life. And for all appearances, it seemed to make sense because that's what everyone else was doing. They were covering their bases. They were doing everything they can to flourish on their own rather than doing what God just had commanded them from the very beginning. Not to mention, this was very culturally attractive, I think. I mean, the ways and practices of worshiping these other gods appealed to the very base part of themselves, their sexuality and these Desires designed by God but had been misappropriated in various ways and appealed to the very corrupt, broken part of who they were. It was very attractive. And Judges reminds us and tells us that they just sunk deeper and deeper until they didn't even remember God at all. And they just became like their neighbors. And soon enough, they weren't even able to hear his voice. They willingly were pulled along in the current of the cultural rhythms and whims of the day because they wanted to control their own destiny. They wanted to be able to determine the direction that they go. And they had fear and anxiety and trusting in a God. What in the world does that mean for us? Now, what does that mean for us now? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, uh, Jesus says 
to his disciples and those who were listening. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. God had given them this people, this land as their inheritance, a land that required extraordinary, extraordinary faith in God. It was a hard land that God designed and desired for them to flourish in, but required extraordinary faith. The very land itself was a test of faith. And every test that God gave them was an act of God's mercy. And every day they had a new opportunity to trust the Lord in the land that he had given him, but they had failed over and over and over again. And the invitation of God was, if you want to know life, if you want to know life, if you want to know life, you've got to give me your life and trust me with your life. Do the things that I ask you to do. Don't don't go after other ideologies and after other gods. Just trust me. And that's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Listen, we live in a world where there are so many other voices and other gods that will tell you that the way of real life, if you want to harness um, the power of real life, if you want to set your trajectory and have control of your trajectory, then you need to adopt this ideology. You need to believe this. You need to hold on to this. There are so many other voices in our culture that says, do you really want to live? Then follow me. Do you want to be successful? Do you want to be right? Do you want to be true? Then believe me. Believe my voice. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, listen, if you hold on to your life like that, or if you give your life away to all these other things, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my name's sake, you will find life. You'll flourish. You'll flourish. And that's Christ's heart and desire for us is that we would flourish, but we can only flourish by giving our life to him and listening to his voice. Listen, our world is full of voices that will tell us how we shape our own identity, how we determine our own purpose, the voices that will tell us this is what is really valuable in life. We have voices in our world that will tell us this is what is really true. And the question for us as his church is will we listen to his voice given to us in his word, the commands that we already know, will we listen to him or obey every other popular voice that we're immersed in in our culture? Requires extraordinary faith, doesn't it? Because the waters are warm. And it's so easy. In fact, we find ourselves in that place before we even know it. We, we're kind of like reptiles and amphibians, those cold-blooded creatures that just, uh, their body temperature rises with the temperature of the culture. And we find ourselves taking on ideologies and beliefs that are so far away from what God has said from the very beginning. Sometimes we just land there. We find ourselves there. And Jesus reminds us and calls us back and says, Will you, will you lose your life to me? Will you listen to my voice, my ways, my truth? Will you entrust your life to me rather than trying to control your own destiny? 
Yeah, I know you have fear and anxiety, but will you trust me? Will you walk with me in faith? Will you walk with me in faith? Isn't that what faith is, right? Faith is being surrounded by a myriad of other voices and so-called truths and conventional wisdom of the day and being able to discern the voice of Jesus through his word and say, that's his voice. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to believe him. Um, this is a picture uh, from a monastery in Mont Saint-Michel in France. It's absolutely gorgeous, um, but this is a room from there. Um, sometimes this is what we envision the Christian life like. Just peaceful, right? Uh, some days are peaceful. Sometimes when we're in the word of God and we've uh, set some time aside for ourselves, we can have moments and days that are peaceful where we can hear God's voice so clearly. But sometimes we think the Christian life, this is what it's supposed to be like, this side of eternity, that it's just, it's just supposed to be this beautiful, peaceful, pristine, clear life. The truth is, uh, life doesn't look like this picture, does it? It's hard. It feels chaotic. We hear voices from different directions, demands from culture and practices. And, uh, you know, uh, we hear people telling us all kinds of things from all different directions. Life the Christian life and our pursuit of following Jesus isn't like this picture in the same way that it wasn't like this for the 12 tribes of Israel when they were entered this promised land. It wasn't like this. It wasn't easy. Now, we need moments like this. We need moments of clarity, and uh, we need to be able to hear that voice. But in everyday life, when it's not like this, When it's tough, and when it's hard, and anxiety and fear rises, God asks us in the midst of all of this, what voice will you listen to? Whose words will you believe? And do you believe that my words are good words? Hard words, but good words. They only seem hard because the rest of the voices in our world are so loud. And they say, if you don't believe our words, and Peter already told this, Paul already told this, Jesus told us, if you don't believe the way of the world, they'll call you evil, just like they called me evil. But will we fight to listen and obey the voice of God? In our life? Or will you just do what the 12 tribes did? Just, I'm just going to kind of control out of my fear and anxiety. I'm just going to control my own destiny. And I'm just going to, that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds good. Even well meaning and good things like, uh, gosh, my family is so important. 
my family is the most important thing. God would say to us, no, your family is the most important, is not the most important thing. It's important, but not the most important thing. Have we, have we set that up as a God in our culture? Absolutely. We make our children, our families, even our marriages the most important thing. There's a whole host of other things. My question for you is as we move into a time of response is, will you examine your own faith and identify the other voices that you believe and be able to determine are they the voice of God or they're another voice, another God that only leads to destruction and oppression and hurt. That is not the life God has called me to. Will you ask that kind of introspective question? Um, uh, Today is also an opportunity for us to reflect and rejoice in the mercy of God. The people of Israel in this period of judges just sunk deeper and deeper. They just got worse and worse and worse and worse. If it were not for the mercy of God to deliver them time and time again, he, uh, they would have been left to their own complete and total destruction and annihilation. But God was not willing to do that. They did not deserve it. They did not earn it or merit it. But God in his mercy rescued them. And he has done so with us ultimately through Jesus. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.